Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Every year at this time, we have to stop and remember what happened in December of 2012. It's not that the murder of 20 school children, six educators, and the killer's mother in Sandy Hook, Connecticut, ever really leaves our minds. It's just that as we approach the anniversary, the memories get more raw. As true as this is for any of us, we can't begin to imagine what it means for those who lost a child there. Last year, Jimmy Green and his wife Nelba joined us in studio to talk about a new record he'd released called Beautiful Life, dedicated to their daughter Anna, who was killed that day. Jimmy is a giant in Connecticut's jazz history, and his wife has become an outspoken advocate. Our conversation was about the music he'd written to celebrate Anna's life and about how they've both coped with this tragedy. This week, Beautiful Life was nominated for two Grammy Awards. Jimmy and Nelba, welcome to Where We Live. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us, John. Uh, before we start hearing some some uh, music from the record, which is a beautiful record, and it's a, it's a it's an amazing tribute, I just want to ask you first, Jimmy, to talk a bit about th- the idea that you had for this record. How did you decide to musically honor the life of your daughter Anna? Because th- this could not have been an easy thing to do, but it came out so beautifully. Just talk about the process a little bit for yourself as an artist. Well, the process was a pretty long one. For the first few weeks after Anna was killed, we had so much activity in our home. We had neighbors and friends and family from far and wide in our home to support us, which we couldn't have made it without that. Our lives were uh, really full, just trying to stand up and, and regain strength to do normal everyday things. So playing music at that time wasn't even a thought. Um, but as the weeks went on, I really felt like I needed to get back to some sort of routine. And my musical routine, which is practicing and writing music, had really kind of been out of focus for quite a while. So when I got back to that, the gradual process of practicing again and writing some music, of course, any artist's job is to reflect life as they know it. And the life as I knew it, this new life that we were thrust upon, that was thrust upon us, the life of our daughter ending in such a violent, tragic way thrust us into this different reality. And to make sense of it, it helps to have family and friends, my wife, my son, we have to kind of figure out this new reality for ourselves, this horrible new reality. And it helps to be a musician, to use the musical language, to fill in the gaps and to express the things that words can't. So as that process went on, obviously the music from this recording was born. And through the help of many, many people, all the musicians on the recording, some of the greatest jazz artists in the world, the people that produced the recording, the the Chesky brothers, the whole musical community came together to really support what I wanted to do, which is to use whatever little bit of the talent that I have uh, to pay tribute to my little girl. Now, Bob, I'm wondering if, if you can talk to us about this period for you and how music helped, how 
Jimmy being part of this amazing collaborative music scene and being able to express this through music actually was was helpful to you, if, if indeed it was, through these last few years? Well, one of the interesting parts of this is when there is a child loss, I think the marriage can be very vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? So I'm glad Jimmy had this outlet. I'm glad he would belong to this wonderful community of, of music and jazz musicians specifically who just poured their love out on us from uh, the moment that this happened. Um, and I'm glad he had this outlet. I did more of the, you know, going to Washington, being involved, going out there. And Jimmy was sitting in Anna's room, often with the door closed, trying to put her beauty into song. And that was just so beautiful to watch and, and be witness to. And at first, it, you know, I have to admit, at first it was frustrating. You know, why aren't you going to Washington with me to fight? But this is what I now know is another way to keep her memory alive. And to give to our son who survived the shooting something beautiful to hear and look at and be a part of. Uh, Music was a shared language that we had before she passed, and it makes sense that we still share that now. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It's something I, I want to ask you about, and before we uh, before we hear some music, that I have found remarkable about the way the both of you have talked publicly and have actually expressed yourself in music in this in this way, is that you seem to be focused on celebrating the life of someone who lived only to be six years old, and I think. So many of us, when we hear about children dying, the first thought we have is the thing that we feel so terrible about is that they don't get to grow up and go to college and be married. And we obsess almost on the things that are taken. But you and I think Jimmy through this music have really focused a lot on celebrating the life of someone who was only with us for six years. Could you just talk about that? Because I think that that's a really remarkable way to think about this. It is critically important to, I mean, if we leave this event in Sandy Hook and, and aren't any more prepared to protect children, that would be that would be very sad. And it is critically important to remember what happened. But for us as parents, and many of the parents that I've spoken to really want their children remembered for how they lived. And I think Anna lived a life where every day she felt loved. She was connected. She was surrounded in this wonderful community of people who who just loved and adored her. She was celebrated for her gifts and talents. She was supported. More of our children should live that way, and that's really important. Mm. Did you pick up on that a little bit, Jimmy? Tell us a bit more about that, because I just think that the the way that you've expressed this this idea of celebrating such a such a short but full life is it's inspirational. I think to a lot of people. Anna was a beautiful little girl, so giving and loving and talented and expressive and the thoughts that we're left with are of those things we remember our little girl as this vibrant beautiful little girl and yes we're heartbroken and every day is a struggle john to to come to grips with what we've lost and the way that she died and why did my little girl have to suffer that way and but we're left with these wonderful memories and the wonderful knowledge of the little life that she did live here on earth. And that keeps us going. It's a powerful reminder of how we need to treat each other. Anna was loving and, and showed her love to us as her family, but also to people she had just met, to friends at school. And and I really feel like that example, lived through the eyes of a child, can really teach us as adults a better way to get along with those around us. Mm. 
and her life is celebrated in this new record called Beautiful Life. It's by saxophonist and composer Jimmy Green, who, of course, has deep, deep roots here in the Connecticut music scene. He's been on our program before, and we're glad to have him back to talk about this record. Anelba Marquez Green, Jimmy's wife, joins him in studio today, and this is where we live. Let's listen to some music, and we're going to start, actually, if if we can begin with the first track on the record, and let's listen in in the background, because I want to ask you a question about it. Go ahead, Kayan. Jimmy, what are we hearing there? We are in Puerto Rico at my in-law's house, Nelba's parents, at holiday time. This was in December of 2011, Anna's last time to Puerto Rico. And every Christmas, uh, every holiday time, it it spans from before Christmas and it ends uh, well after New Year's, there are these celebrations uh, where a bunch of musicians will gather and sing and play uh, carols like the ones we just heard and uh, have a great time of food and fun and family and friends. It's called a parranda. Well, that was one of them in my in-laws' living room in their home in Puerto Rico. And Nelba and I were there along with our two kids and uh, my in-laws and and a lot of Nelba's aunts and uncles and cousins, and we're all singing and, and playing and having a great time. So that's that's how the CD opens, and it's it's a beautiful Nelba first first sound to hear in, in this record, and it's unexpected in many ways. It is, it is Puerto Rican uh, Christmas carols, equal parts drinking songs, equal parts birth of Jesus. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you you move into this this opening theme, and it's it's you playing Jimmy with the great guitarist Pat Metheny. Pat is an amazing musician, as we all know. He's one of the greatest jazz musicians we have today, and he's a great human being. He reached out to me. Uh, just a few days after Anna was killed and just offered his support and his condolences and said, whenever you need me, you know, I'm, I'm available. And what's the theme that we're, that we're hearing? This is Come Thou Almighty King. This is a hymn that I wasn't aware of, but uh, it appeared in my son's first year piano lesson book. He had, at that time, he had uh, just started piano lessons in Winnipeg. It was our last year in Winnipeg. And this was June, pretty much at the end of his uh uh, year of taking lessons and this hymn appeared and my daughter who always loved to number one participate with whatever her older brother was doing and number two just loved music loved to sing she would uh, th- they printed the lyrics of the hymn in the book and so Anna would sing along with Isaiah as he was practicing it and Nelva had the wonderful idea of let's let's capture this let's videotape this mm. so uh, we did Nelva did videotape it and in the days after Anna was killed, uh, we sent that video out as sort of a statement from our family. And uh, that became a very special uh, moment for us. And in, in planning this recording, I, I really wanted to play this song. So I arranged the hymn for Pat and I to play. And at the very end of the track, you'll hear that audio uh, from Nelba's home recording uh, of Anna singing, Come Thou Almighty King. Well, let's listen to just a little bit of Jimmy Green playing with Pat Metheny here. Now, if we could, let's just listen to, as you were saying before, the end of the song. This is uh, from a video that I think many of us saw on, on Facebook in, in the days following the, the, the terrible event. And this is Anna Gray singing. Help us, help us, help us, help us, help us. 
It's beautiful. Uh, the, Jimmy Green's uh, new record is called Beautiful Life, and it celebrates uh, the life of his daughter, Anna, who was killed at Sandy Hook. And we're talking with Jimmy Green and his uh, wife, Nelba Marquez Green, here on Where We Live Today. That's the first track on the record. And the next track is called Last Summer. And listen, if we can just listen to a little bit in the background, I, I want to ask you about this track, Jimmy, and some of the music that is here with this uh, amazing quartet that you're playing with. Yeah, uh, the musicians on this recording... I wanted them to participate not only because they're world-class jazz artists and some of the best examples of musicians we have today, but also because there's a connection uh, between each of them and me and my family. And I really wanted that meaningful connection to be present on the recording as well. This is such a special personal recording, and I really felt like the musicians on it not only should be amazing for just for their musicianship, but also... Uh, a personal connection with my family. So the rhythm section, uh, one of the rhythm sections on this recording, uh, well, the drummer for the entire recording, Louis Nash, the bassist for the entire recording, Christian McBride, and Kenny Barron, who plays piano on two duet tracks with me, they were the rhythm section of the uh, Thelonious Monk Institute jazz competition when I was 21 years old in 1996. I was a finalist in the uh, Monk Institute saxophone competition, international saxophone competition, and I was scared and nervous and shaking, and I walked up on stage for the semifinal round and had never met either, any of the musicians before. And, I, of course, I'd idolized all of them. I had dozens of records with them on it. So my first time meeting them was walking on stage, and I had to actually lead them through the three songs that I was competing on. And you can imagine for a 21-year-old kid and five of my saxophone heroes mm -hmm. were in the audience judging the competition, and I had these three amazing musicians behind me playing, it was an extremely daunting moment, but they made me feel so comfortable and so welcomed and like, you belong here. And that just gave me so much confidence as I played with them. So I, And I've played in their bands in the years since. I've played in Lewis Nash's band pretty much since that day. And I played a lot with Kenny Barron, and I played with Christian McBride as well. And I just really felt like I wanted them on the recording. It's so interesting you talk about the, the support of musicians, and, and that means a couple things. The support of people coming together in a terrible time and helping you, but also just the support of playing music with people who, who actually are meaningful to you. That's, that's a, a fairly sort of special family that those of us who aren't musicians maybe don't quite understand. Absolutely. And the, one of the other pianists on the recording, Reedy Rosdis, uh, I've played with her a lot over the last goodness, 12, 14 years, and her husband, Bill Sharlap, and they become really close friends. And uh, other people like Javier Colon and Latanya Farrell and Anika Noni Rose, I've, I've known since I was in high school and college. And the kids from the Linden Christian School Choir were classmates of my kids when they attended that school. And the musicians of the Hartford Symphony Orchestra, um, I wrote 10 arrangements for strings and jazz quartet that we performed before Anna was killed. This was in 2012. So all the musicians on the recording have a connection to my it, family. It, as we head into our first break, I, I actually want to, to have you talk a little bit about the, the piece When I Come Home. And this features Javier Colon, the, the great vocalist. And, and one thing I actually noticed on your Facebook page, Nelba, is not too terribly long ago, you folks got to meet uh, Stevie Wonder. Mm. 
and who I know is a musical hero, mm-hmm. certainly a musical hero of mine. And this track that we're about to hear actually so much reminds me yeah. of, of Stevie's music from the 1970s. I'm just wondering if you, if you can t- talk a little bit about that, if you would, Nelba, because people like that reaching out and being being supportive through this, it, it's it's just part of this experience that you've gone through and just seeing how many people, including heroes, are, are stepping forward and being very, very kind. You know, one of the beautiful parts about Anna when she was alive is that she had a very special way of drawing people in from different backgrounds, and we found the same thing in her death. Um, people feel connected to Anna, whether they're white people, black people, musicians, and non, but certainly musicians feel like they have lost a member of their village. So it wasn't I mean, we were honored when Stevie reached out and when all, and, you know, Harry was there. Harry Connick Jr. Harry Connick Jr. was at our house um, the night of the shooting. Mm. Um, we didn't even know he knew where we lived and he drove to, you know, just heartbroken. Anna was a member of their village and I think for many of them, supporting us uh, through song is a way that they can continue to remember her, honor her, support Isaiah and her dad and me. And we're just incredibly grateful for that. And yeah, Javier does a wonderful job on when I come home. Yeah. And do you want to maybe say something about this track before we hear it, Jimmy? This song was actually written several years ago. I did a recording called Live at Smalls, and the song is was originally entitled Home. I wrote it in the first few months where we lived in Winnipeg. We moved there in August of 2009 uh, for me to teach at the University of Manitoba on a, a tenure-track full-time basis. And as you can imagine, never living anywhere except for between Hartford and New York City, moving halfway across the continent induced a lot of homesickness. Mm -hmm. So I wrote this song. Uh, I came back to record Live at Smalls in February of 2010 and wrote this song to play and to record on that album. Well, after Anna was killed, I I was really thinking that any music that I would come up with, you know, to pay tribute to Anna had to have lyrics, had to have singers because she sang and she loved listening to singers and songs with words. So I listened to this song and thought, wow, this I could really write lyrics to this song. So I chose to write lyrics to this song, and it's called Now When I Come Home. You're listening to a program we recorded last year with saxophonist Jimmy Green and his wife, Nelba Marquez Green. Jimmy's album, Beautiful Life, was just nominated for two Grammy Awards, and we're heading out of the segment with When I Come Home, featuring Javier Colon, which was nominated for Best Arrangement. This is where we live. This is where we live. I'm John Dankosky. We're talking about jazz today because we have Jimmy Green and Elba Marquez Green here. Jimmy Green is the great saxophonist and composer whose new record, Beautiful Life, uh, celebrates the life of his daughter, Anna Grace, who was killed at Sandy Hook. And we're listening to some of this music today, and we're talking with them about Anna's life. Let's actually listen to the next song from the record here. It features the vocalist Kurt Elling, and the track is called Anna's Way. Maybe you can talk about it for for a moment, Jimmy, because this is a theme, again, that it's an older theme for you. Yeah, uh, this song was written 
in, goodness, 2008 maybe, and it was entitled Anna Grace. Anna was two years old at the time, and it was written for an album that I did called Mission Statement. When Anna was killed, I again, I felt like I, I wanted to write lyrics. I wanted to have songs and singers sing these songs. And this song, I felt, was really ripe for, you know, having lyrics added to it. And it's retitled Anna's Way, and it really speaks to uh, a lot of her character. And it was really meaningful to have uh, her classmates, her friends in her kindergarten class when she was a student at Linden Christian School in Winnipeg. They're singing on it, as well as the fourth graders who were my son Isaiah's classmates from Linden. They uh, sing background for Kurt Elling. We're actually going to hear a little bit of that so that we can hear the, the, the kids singing with Kurt. Let's listen for a moment. Giving hearts of hearts each day She loved to pray And thank God for His blessings For for no I love the sound of, of the children singing with him. They did an amazing job. And their director, Brenda Johnson, I don't know how she got those kids to sing a lot of those <laughs> intervals. That, that's not children's <laughs> choir material say, right there. That's exactly not children's choir material necessarily. Um, can you tell us, Nelba, about what the Anna Grace Project is? Sure. After her death, we really wanted to focus in on what something that would honor her, but also that would really make a difference in the lives of children. I was working at the time of her uh, death and still am now at Klingberg Family Centers as director of the outpatient psychotherapy clinic. And we know that the promotion of love, community, and connection for children really is a protective factor for kids, especially those who are vulnerable. I talk a lot about Anna and her wonderful life and how connected and loved she was. And we really feel like one of the things that would prevent Deaths like, uh, or incidents like the one that took her life is if all kids, I often think about Adam Lanza and what if he had had a life where he was connected in a meaningful and healthy way to others and loved and felt loved and respected and honored, perhaps that would have made a difference. In the days following that event, I began to see uh, through communication that came out through Facebook and Twitter, and this this term kept popping up, and it was love wins. That's right. And it's something that then became associated with, with you and with the memory of Anna. Can you explain what that means to you? You know, we wanted so desperately to remember Anna as she lived and to remember our family as who we were, not just for this one thing that happened to us December 14th, as important as that is, and we don't want people to forget, we also wanted people to focus in on what we thought was good about Anna's life and was healthy and strong, and that was love. I mean, she just lived such an amazing life. We felt her love all over us. We feel like it's really important to live with this philosophy for our son who survived. We often don't get a chance to talk about him a lot, but he's an amazing kid. And we want two things for him, that he's able to feel loved still despite this tragedy and that he's able to express love out to others. Um, 
you know, this love of God that we feel so strongly about uh, in our lives that we know is sustaining us now, we feel like it is our job to put that out there. It is our choice to put that out there. And I don't know, Jimmy, if you have other things to add to that. Speaking about our faith, we hold to the hope that we'll be reunited with Anna one day. The, her story, although it was very brief on this earth, is not the end of Anna's story in that she is she's living a, a brand new life right now in heaven and that one day we'll join her. So love wins. What I, I love about this idea is that an awful lot of what we talk about, certainly in the media, and I talk about terrible things that are happening in the world all the time, is that when we often say love wins, it's because something else loses. Like there's a there's an enemy on the other side. But even, Melvin, hearing you talk about how you feel about thinking about Adam Lanza or other children going through things so that nothing like this happens, there's a sense that it's not like there's an enemy that's evil on the other side. It's just that you're talking about love actually being something that overcomes all of these things. It's not as though it's fighting something on the other side. One of the most unfortunate things about this tragedy is that people will often talk to us and say, oh, you know, that monster who took your daughter's life or that woman who was the mother of the monster. And, I, you know, when you talk like that, it doesn't fix anything. And it's not going to help prevent anything the next time. This was a young person who obviously had some issues and some needs that weren't met. We have to find a way to reach these vulnerable people. And the only way to do that is through love and compassion. I mean, really, it is. I'm not saying I don't have days where I'm not angry. I don't have days, you know, the days are either bad or worse. Mm -hmm. But if we're not looking at this as an opportunity to say, what went wrong and how do we fix it in a really meaningful way that doesn't turn it into an us versus them, then we're not doing the right thing. And that's really what the Honor Grace Project does. It's, it's how do we find these vulnerable families and not stigmatize them or further push them away from resources that would help them, but say, hey, let's embrace you, let's bring you in, and let's find you what you need. You don't need to do a, a, an act of violence to get the attention you need. And when you spoke recently on, on the two-year anniversary of, of the shooting, you actually you mentioned the, the mothers in, in, in Ferguson, Missouri, and other places, and that maybe we can broaden a conversation about violence in America to beyond this sort of violence, because this sort of violence is so, thankfully, so incredibly, incredibly, incredibly rare. The real violence that happens is violence that happens in, right. in, in Hartford and Bridgeport, New Haven, right. and, and, and Ferguson, and, and frankly, every other place yeah. in America. And, and that is, I think, part of the message that you're trying to send. Absolutely. I, I met, I had, the, I had the honor and the privilege of meeting Sabrina Fulton, Trayvon Martin's mother, uh, last summer, and she uh, brought about 50 of us who have lost children to gun violence into a conversation and just really one of the most beautiful women you could ever meet. And we just learned so much from each other from, you know, how our, our child's death was, our children's deaths was, were handled. And, you know, this is really about broadening the conversation. It, I am thankful that people remember Anna. I also want people to remember Trayvon and, and all of the others who have been lost in this way. 
Jimmy, I, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about this, because as we talked earlier in the program about about how you were able to use your music as, as an outlet, and Nelba's been more forward-facing in the public talking about some of these issues of, of violence. Can you talk about how some of this is working its way into either your work or how you feel as a musician you want to place yourself in this national conversation about all these things that we're just talking about here? Well, I think uh, I've placed myself, and we've placed ourselves as a family in the in the forefront of the discussion. Discussion. Uh, we've appeared on many shows, and you know, I've been to Washington too, mm-hmm. lobbying for common sense measures uh, to combat gun violence, background checks, universal background checks, encouraging people to, if they do have weapons in their home, keep them locked up. Uh, things like this that are uh, reduce magazine capacity, things that are that most Americans want, uh, but somehow have not become part of our uh, national discussion on on uh, on gun safety. I feel very strongly about these things. In addition, uh, just to, to piggyback on something that Nelva said, when you frame Adam Lanza or, or people like that as monsters, that really it has a way of kind of absolving you of thinking about it because, well, those people do that sort of thing. Well, the potential is there for... For this to happen a lot more often, if we don't do things to to be inclusive, to be loving, to be a community that embraces everyone in it and tries to find avenues and support for everyone in it. So I really feel like it's up to all of us individually. It's not just up to someone who has a monster in their house, but it's up to all of us to really look in the mirror and say, what kind of country do I want to live in? And I think you mentioned this earlier, but the contrast between the life that Anna lived for these short six years and as we saw recently with this most recent report that came out from the State Child Advocate about the life of isolation that mm-hmm. Adam Lanza lived, and this is not to excuse and this is not to take blame away from where it lies, but there's a very simple fact that he lived a very difficult 20 years on this earth right. and um, <laughs> Anna lived a, a very good six years on this earth, and her life ended in a terrible way. But that is something that I think you you keep in the forefront of people's minds when you talk like this. No, but I think it's important. It's yeah. all about relationships. Relationships are important. Relationships are healing. You get to decide what you do with the difficult lot you are given. I mean, we would not be where we are now without our positive and healthy relationships. I just wish Adam Lanza had had some of those. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Nelba Marquez-Green and Jimmy Green. We're actually going to just hear a, a little bit of w- one more song. And, and the song is Where is the Love? And it features the great pianist, Kenny Barron. And as maybe we, we hear a little bit going out. Maybe you can tell us about recording with this, this hero. He's truly one of the great pianists of our time. Kenny is an amazing musician, obviously, but a very generous and warm spirit. And like I mentioned earlier, he was at the piano when I was a 21-year-old nervous competitor at the Thelonious Monk Jazz Saxophone Competition. And he hired me and his band to play some concerts with him in Boston and Chicago, and I play with him in Missouri and other places as well. And he's just an amazing musician, and I I love uh, sharing music with him. And Where is Love is a composition, it's a song from the musical Oliver that Jackie McLean taught to me at my first meeting with him at the Artist Collective when I was 15 years old. And he just showed me the melody. So for this recording, I had a lot of time, obviously after Anna was killed, to reflect on her life and on my life as well. And uh, this song kept coming up as one that was very meaningful because of that uh, introduction to Jackie McLean. And, and his, as he gave so much to me and so many others. But to me, he poured so much of himself into my life. I really felt like I wanted to record this song. 
So uh, as we head to break, let's listen to a little bit of this music. And this is uh, Kenny Barron playing with Jimmy Green. And the record is called Beautiful Life. And it celebrates the life of uh, Anna Grace, uh, who was killed at Sandy Hook. And Jimmy Green is, of course, the saxophonist and great composer who joins us in studio today, along with his wife, Melba Marquez Green. We're talking about uh, her life, and we're listening to some music here on Where We Live. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankowski. Coming up on tomorrow's show, when was the last time you sent a letter? No, not an email, but a real tangible piece of snail mail. Probably not too recently, right? On our next episode, we'll take a look at the fading art of letter writing. We'll learn about how some 17th century letters were tracked down by a Yale historian. We'll also hear how the Love Lettering Project is encouraging people to pen some love letters to their cities. Hope you can join the conversation on the next Where We Live. Today we're listening back to a conversation we had last year with Jimmy Green and Nelba Marquez Green about Jimmy's record, Beautiful Life, which was recently nominated for Grammy Awards for Best Jazz Instrumental Album and Best Arrangement for the song When I Come Home. This album celebrates the life of their daughter, Anna Grace, who was killed at Sandy Hook. We're talking about her life, and we're talking about listening to this music, and I'd like to talk about the track, Maybe. Uh, Jimmy, this features you with the great pianist, Kenny Barron. Uh, Tell me about why you put this on the record. Well, Anna loved the musical Annie uh-huh. and knew all the songs from the soundtrack and had watched the movie and loved to sing this particular song. So she would sing this song uh, as we were driving around the car. She'd sing this in the back seat, a cappella, and, and it, the sound of her voice, which is beautiful, always yeah. always stuck with me and sticks with me to this day. So when we recorded this, I wanted to record just the melody because that's what she would sing. And I wanted to record it on an instrument that would reflect her vocal range, so I chose soprano saxophone to play it. It's interesting you talk about the, the vocal range using the soprano saxophone, and you, you do that some, sometimes on this record. Last time you were here, you were playing with the great Mario Pavone, the bassist, and we were talking a, a little bit about singing through the saxophone, about the sound that saxophonists make. And for people who don't know you, you're, you're a big guy and you're a tenor saxophonist, and I think about that big, brawny sound, and I you know, think about people like you and John Coltrane and Sonny Rollins who are big guys with big sounds, but when you use the soprano, there is a much different voice, and in many ways you are echoing her voice. Absolutely. I love the soprano. I've always loved it, and as soon as I could afford one, uh, (laughs) when I was uh, almost out of college, uh, I bought one and have been playing it ever since. 
I really feel like it's a part of part of my voice now. And yeah, I'm, I am a big guy and love the tenor sound and have always prioritized playing tenor, but soprano is is a very very important part of what I do. Let's listen to one of the last tracks on the record and this is a setting of of the Lord's Prayer. People will know the words uh, and it features Cyrus Chestnut and Latanya Farrell. Let's listen. It's a beautiful arrangement, Jimmy. Thank you, John. Uh, that was acts as another song that I had written many years ago uh, to accompany that portion of Scripture and never recorded the words, recorded as an instrumental, and really felt like this was a, the appropriate time to record with the Scripture as well. That's a prayer that I would pray often with Anna and Isaiah at bedtime and a prayer that was taught to me by my mom when I was a youngster. So I thought, what what better way to, to uh, pay tribute to my little girl than to include this prayer and a statement of our faith and a statement of uh, our family. We just have a few minutes left in the program, and I'm so glad to be able to, to listen to this music with you. Now, Bites, I have to ask you, how, how are you doing? You said earlier in the program that, you know, days are either bad or they're worse, but Obviously, there's a lot of, of joy and other things that are, are happening in your life. How are you doing two years after? I mean, how do you feel yourself personally coping with, with this new world? We don't get an option in what happens to us. We get an option in how we respond. Mm. And we have chosen to respond with love wins. It is a brutal reality that you wake up to every day. And you often forget. The other day we were somewhere and the fee was $10 a person. And I turned to Jimmy and I said, we need 40 bucks hmm. because I forgot. And that's just kind of how the brain protects you. But despite all we've been given, we choose to respond. Love wins. I mean, I, I can't make it. I can't sanitize it. It is pretty awful. Yet we still get a choice in how we respond. Hmm. Thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate you, Thank you, for you, you joining us, us yeah. uh, for this. Uh, Jimmy, I'm just wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the, the last track on the record. It features a poem, and it's, <laughs> as Noah was just saying, it was, it's very direct in its way yeah. about what it's saying. Yeah. I really felt like 
there's there's been a lot of really amazing, well-meaning people who understandably don't know what to say or what to do and have looked to us, what can I do to help? What can I, what can I do? And in a small way, this is my response. This is what we all can do. This is a song that one of the three or four songs that was specifically written from beginning to end for this recording. And uh, the music and the spoken word were written specifically for this. And to deliver the spoken word, I really felt like it was important to have, like I said, a, a musician who was meaningful to my family and me. Well, Anika and I went to high school together, Bloomfield High School. And, of course, she's gone on to a lot of fame. She's a Tony Award-winning actress, and uh, she's an amazing singer. She always has been. And she was the voice of Princess Tiana, who is uh, the lead role in Disney's The Princess and the Frog on the loved Disney princess movies. And we saw that together in the theater. And she really loved the character. And I, I really felt like it was important to have Anika participate for that reason. This is Little Voices. Jimmy Green, thank you so much for, for sharing this with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, John. This is where we live. Little voices calling. Little voices laughing. Little voices singing. All those precious little voices. Brightening our day, stealing our hearts, shaping our lives. In the blink of an eye, they're gone. Now there's just silence where those little voices used to be. Now it's up to you. It's up to me. Will you make the choice to be a voice? Will you walk humbly, show mercy, and love your neighbor? 